two of our journey on uh, healing. Hashtag God heals if you're uh, tweeting this morning. If you missed uh, last week, you can get all the bits and bobs at a single place uh, there. It's uh, lovely to have Chris Lacey with us this morning. Uh, Chris looks after, as it were, provides the back end, the backside of our website. So every time you listen to a podcast, uh, he helps provide us with the infrastructure to make that happen. Thank you, Chris, very, very much. And yeah, go on, absolutely. There's a lot of work goes on. And uh, the guys at the back record it. Frank uh, Carver uploads it. So a lot of work goes on. So when you say, where is it? Where is it? There are people working hard to uh, bring it to you. Okie doke. Most predictable, maybe, of any conversation, any journey about healing is the question this morning. If God wants us whole, which is what we looked at last week, then why isn't everyone healed? That's not a new question. You will have thought about it last week. You will have thought about it within 10 seconds of me starting this series. In fact, you will have thought about it when you first read uh, my introduction or you read my blog and you knew that over these next few uh, weeks, these next however many weeks up until uh, the middle of July, we're looking at this subject of uh, healing. So, why isn't everyone healed? Here's my considered opinion. For those listening online, there are three words on the screen. I don't know. Why isn't everyone healed? I don't know. It's a mystery. But there are some things we do know. And in the midst of the mystery, in the midst of the things that we don't know, there are things that we do know that can help us. There are things that we do know that can frame the conversation. There are things that we do know that can help us make sense of the things that we don't know. You see, why don't people respond to the gospel when they hear it preached? How many times have you heard someone give an evangelistic talk and the hairs on the back of your neck are on and your heart's thumping? You would have responded all over again if you weren't already a Christian. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And you cannot believe that there are people that can sit and listen and walk out the door as if nothing had happened. Did you not hear what that person was saying? Clearly not. No. Or for some reason was unable to connect with it in the way the preacher had anticipated. There's mystery, for sure. Why, when I pray for people, do I see people healed? And why sometimes do I not see them healed? Well, why, why is that? Why is it this morning that I should come here to preach a message on why God doesn't heal everybody and my wife should take my son to A&E to get his foot x-rayed? Why is that? Why, when I prayed with him this morning, was he not healed? So how do we make sense of the 
mystery. And the interesting thing about this week is that since last week's sermon, and indeed even here in this place, people were healed in this room last Sunday morning. People have been healed in our community this week. Others haven't. So it's not that we have no knowledge of God moving in that way, but how do we make sense of it? Let's pick up uh, the story, looking at some of the things that we do know. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Picture the scene. The disciples, that's you. You're asked to pray for someone to be healed, for this boy to be healed. And after they, after you have prayed, nothing happened. Could anyone relate to that? Isn't it brilliant that the Bible speaks right into our situation? I find that hugely encouraging because that's what happened to me this morning. That's what's happened to me many times. I've prayed for people and they have not got better. I have not seen what I was asking for. Maybe all kinds of other things happened, but it was not what I was praying for. So what happens next if you're one of those disciples that's been doing the praying? You get a little bit flustered, a little bit agitated. It's slightly hashtag awkward in that moment. And you begin to start thinking, well, maybe it wasn't God's will to heal them anyway. And maybe they start going through the same mind route that we talked about last week. Maybe they started to get frustrated with God, even blame God. God, why haven't you done this today for this poor boy? What we know from this passage is that blaming God can be a huge mistake. Because they were wrong, weren't they? In a moment, Jesus would heal him. Had God wanted to heal the boy? Absolutely. Was God going to heal the boy? Yes. Was it God's intention that the boy should be healed? Yes. But when the disciples prayed, nothing happened. There are so many assumptions that perhaps we as those disciples make when nothing appears to happen. Maybe the boy didn't have enough faith, or maybe the father didn't have enough faith. Judging by Jesus' comments, some of that might be true, but Jesus healed the boy anyway. Maybe, and you hear this, there was some sin in their lives that prevents the healing. That might be so, but Jesus healed the boy anyway, even if those were there. And we'll come back to some of these thoughts. But stick with this story for a moment. Here are these disciples and they're wondering what went wrong. Why didn't it work for us in that situation? So the disciples ask a question that is really, really dangerous. Never ask God to explain something to you unless you fasten your seatbelt and you brace yourself for the answer. So they said at the end of the day, as they're still mulling it round in their minds, they kind of go in a private moment. So what on earth? Why couldn't we deal with that, Jesus? Why couldn't we drive that demon out? I don't think they got the answer 
that they were looking for. Jesus replied, this kind can only come out by prayer, or some manuscripts have prayer and fasting. Don't worry just for a moment about what Jesus might have meant by that. We'll come back to it. But see the big truth. And it's not an easy truth for disciples to hear or to face. The boy didn't get healed when the disciples prayed for him because there was an inadequacy in their prayer. True or false? True. True. Jesus is quite clear. You didn't pray right. It, what you did wasn't, the, wasn't enough. It wasn't right. You need to do this rather than what you did, which was that. If we are looking to learn, and all disciples are learners, then we don't want to blame those disciples, <laughs> as if we could, because we've been in that place. But we do want to learn from them. It was the disciples' fault. The good news, if you're feeling uncomfortable, is that the word disciple means learner. And these disciples continue to learn how to pray and minister effectively in the power of the Holy Spirit so they would see many people healed and many people freed and many people released. But there was a journey. That's the good news, is that we can learn to pray for the sick more effectively. So what's the second thing we know? We know we can learn to pray more effectively because those disciples did not go through the Acts of the Apostles with one prayer failure after another. They learned out of that failure to pray in new and different ways that would release the power of God. The bad news, though, is that in order to learn something practical... We have to practice it, and when you practice something you're not that good at, you will often fail in the early stages. No one has learned to ride a bike without falling off. You can't do that. No one will learn to pray for people without seeing them not healed. It's an inevitable part of being an apprentice. You start fairly clueless. You have a go. It looks easy. You discover it's more difficult than it looks. You have to push through. One of the reasons the healing ministry has been kept at arm's length by so many Christians and churches is that we've not united together to push through what we don't know. We've not united to learn out of our failure because when we fail, it hurts. Imagine those disciples. They're full of embarrassment and shame. It's awkward. There's a whole crowd gathering around. The Pharisees are there laughing and mocking. It's a right public scene and the disciples have got egg all over their face. And you would understand those disciples saying, well, we're never going to let that happen again. That's the last time I'm going to pray for someone in public. That's the last time I'm going to take the risk of laying hands on someone. That's the last time I'm ever going to suggest, let's pray for that person. You'd understand the disciples doing that, wouldn't you? Hello? Half the New Testament wouldn't have been written if the disciples had made that choice. Instead, they said, no, we've got some things to learn. When they went to a private place, they said to Jesus, Jesus, we don't understand what went wrong there. You've got to help us. You've got to teach us. And we know that they were taught and they were helped because of the testimony of the rest of the New 
Testament. I remember when David Watson was dying of cancer. This shows my age. Uh, David Watson was a eminent evangelical in our country, very uh, uh, helpful in leading the church into the, the kind of UK church, into renewal. Uh, and he was dying of cancer. And he wrote that book, Fear No Evil. Who's read Fear No Evil? You've just identified yourself as being 45 plus. Well done. Um, uh, and, and it was a very, very, very moving, profound, deep book. I remember in that book, him talking about the time John Wimber who came from uh, the, the U.S. to pray for David Watson because they were friends. Now, um, people say and read all kinds of rubbish about John Wimber. I've sat under John Wimber's ministry. I've listened to hours and hours of his teaching. Come and talk to me if you've got an issue about John Wimber. I'd love that conversation. So John Wimber comes over to pray for David Watson and nothing happens. And John Wimber's reflection was, we, we just felt so out of our depth. We just felt we, we didn't have enough experience. We didn't have enough faith. We didn't know what we were doing. And, and he goes, it became such a teaching ground for us, but still David Watson died. We know we can learn to pray more effectively than we do at the moment. That's encouraging, isn't it? And we know thirdly, that if we're going to learn to pray, it's not a classroom learning. It's not how Jesus did it. It was an apprenticeship. It was very practical. If we're going to learn to pray, then we're going to have to pray more. And we know that the more we pray, the more we see people healed. That's a very simple uh, reality. I know in my experience that if I pray lots for people, then the number of people that get healed increases. If I don't pray very much for very many people, then not very much happens and not very many people get healed. So the, as we learn to pray, as we pray more, we know that we will see more people healed. When we share with Jesus and they don't respond, we might be tempted to give up the sharing, but we don't because that will be a mistake. When we pray for someone, we're tempted to give up praying for people for healing. That will be a mistake. We must push through. And the more we pray, the more people will get healed. And fourthly, we know the reality, the conviction that we have not prayed for the sick as much as we should have. Now, Please don't misunderstand me, and, and, and please, please, please know that, that I, get, I get the pain of, of when God doesn't heal people. I understand that in my own experience, my own life, the life of my family. I understand it in church life, in pastoral ministry. So whilst this is kind of lots of thinking, I, I get the pain, the reality of, of what we're talking about. And because of that, because we know the pain, because we know the awkwardness, because we have that horrible sense that nothing happened and we say it couldn't have been God's will then and turn God to be a nasty father that doesn't want to bless us because we don't know what to say and don't know what to do, we, we stop praying for people. And now I don't mean we don't pray for them, Lord bless so-and-so who's sick and Lord be with them and Lord help them. I'm talking about prayers that really believe they're going to be healed in the there and now. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference from the intercessory kind of prayers that we offer, that God's kingdom would come in people's lives, to that moment we're saying, Lord, right now we're asking you to heal this person. We're wanting to see this happen in our time, in our day. And we pull back from those prayers because we know that it has in the past 
and can so easily take us to a painful place. And if there's an opportunity to avoid a painful place, then I'm in, aren't you? Who wants to do that? And so we stop praying for people. And we dread it when people ask, can I pray for you? I understand that. I have no sight in one eye. I've had more people offer to pray for me than I've had cooked dinners. And it's awkward. You feel bad for them. They feel bad for you. We all feel hurt and upset. So it would be easier if we hadn't done it. Wrong. Wouldn't it? Wrong. We have not prayed for the... You see, it's a command in the Bible. When Jesus sent out the disciples to find their people of peace, I need a stool, don't I? A nice sort of stool so I can perch when I'm feeling a little bit... Like, this is getting serious. When I'm standing up like this, this is all waffle, right? When I go down, it's really serious. And it's, um, I've got no idea what I'm talking about now. <laughs> Someone search for a nice stool. It can't be too high. <laughs> just, a, just a nice stool. Probably get them in the early learning center. There's a command. There's a command. That wasn't that funny. Wasn't that funny? We'll do the we'll do the the healing from rejection and hurtful words that people say in a few weeks' time. Until then, be with me as I crawl along in my emotional pit. Okay, it's a command. When Jesus sent this is what I was talking about. When Jesus sent the the, the disciples out to go into the households and find a person of peace, they were to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. Now, that's a bit tricky for a Christian that doesn't believe in healing the sick. Heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. It's really easy to miss that bit out because of the place it takes us that I just described that hurts us, makes us feel uncomfortable, hashtag awkward, we're all embarrassed, full of shame, blah, 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 and we don't push through those moments. Gifts of healing is a spiritual gift. We ask the Holy Spirit to fall on his church, don't we? Pentecost, June the 8th, the big clue, Holy Spirit, come to your church. He brings gifts of healing. We should anticipate it, expect it. James says, if you're sick, get the elders round to pray for you. And I kind of think that out of our pain, out of the fact that we know it takes us to difficult and hard places, that we've shied away from praying for the sick in the way that Jesus has commanded us to do. We need to learn to pray. The more we pray, the more people get healed. And I find myself saying, Lord, I'm sorry for the times I haven't prayed faith-filled prayers for sick people in the way that I should have. You can leave me hanging all alone, or you can share that maybe you're sorry too. There are other things that we know. Fifthly, we know that lack of faith stops people being healed. Let's increase the pain. I understand that we need to be really careful and really sensitive about this. I understand having had people pray for me and not been healed, saying to someone that isn't healed that it was their lack of faith is cruel and unkind. Saying to someone who hasn't been healed that it's their lack of faith is cruel and unkind. So let's not do it. And let's not hear it. But let's be very careful not to lose some truth because we want to be pastorally 
sensitive which we do. The truth is, where there is lack of faith, the healing ministry of Jesus is restrained. That's the truth. That's the truth. You guys okay? Do we need anyone else, Connor? Yeah. Thanks, Paul. Yep. Great. Let's stand, shall we? Father, we don't know what's going on outside, but we know that you love whoever's involved. We know that your plan and purpose for their lives is for their good and for their blessing. If by our massive activity, all 200 of us, we could fix something, then we would, but we can't, so we rest in you. And we ask you to uh, completely take care of all that's going on outside. Your blessing might be on them. Your healing and freedom might come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okie doke. We know, we know that lack of faith, that lack of faith stopped Jesus healing lots of sick people. So we know there's a link between healing and faith. But what you also need to understand, we need to understand, it's not always or necessarily the person needing the healing. When the paralytic man was sent to Jesus and they dug a hole in the roof and lowered him down, Jesus says it was their faith. It was the faith of the friends that resulted in the healing of the man. Which is, I grant you, different from when the woman with the issue of blood pushed her way through the crowd. In that situation, Jesus said it was her faith that had healed her. But most of the time, when Jesus talks about faith, it's usually referred to the people bringing the person. Remember the centurion in Matthew chapter 8. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve... So the centurion had been sent, um, servant sick. Centurion goes to Jesus and says, Lord, I, I don't deserve to have you even come to my house. Just say the word. Should be a song, that. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. This is what it says, Matthew chapter 8, on the screen now. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. The centurion's faith. And his servant was healed at that moment. If you point at a person you are praying for and accuse them of lack of faith, you probably have at least four pointing back at yourself. So be very careful lest you look a little more awkward than you need. Richard Foster, the great prayer warrior, the author of Spiritual Celebrating, whatever it's called, the Spiritual Disciplines Guy, uh, Celebration of Discipline. Uh, And he's written a, a very profound book on prayer. And he says, to be honest, if I want prayer for healing, I want to gather myself around people that believe that that's possible. Is that why Jesus said to all the weeping and wailing people around Jairus' daughter's house, he sent them all outside and he went in and took that little girl by the hand? We know that lack of faith stops people being healed. And we know that lack of persistence stops people being healed also. If we go back to the verses that Alan read to us, 
The phrase prayer and fasting is, is Jesus' reference to a, a persistent prayer. For whatever reason, the disciples had not persisted in prayer, either beforehand or during, in order to see that boy completely healed. Persistence in prayer can get us to the right place. You see, when I ask God to heal somebody, he understands exactly what I mean. I don't need to persist in order to help him understand. When I pray for someone to be healed, I don't need to persist in order to help God change his mind. If God's mind is made up not to heal, then he's not going to do it whatever I pray. Persistence doesn't change God, and we know the revelation of Scripture is that God longs to heal. My persistence in prayer is often changing me, is often bringing me to a place when I have the faith, the capacity, the ability to receive what God would offer from his gracious hand. Persistence is all about us persevering. And maybe, as I say, that's what Jesus is talking about here with the demonized uh, boy. In Daniel, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, we also see how Daniel's persistent praying brought down spiritual strongholds. Now, that's beyond our, uh, our remit for this morning, but eventually an angel turns up in response to Daniel's prayer, and Daniel basically says, where on earth have you been? I've been praying for ages. And the angel says, well, as soon as you started praying, I knew, and I was on my way, but there was a spiritual battle taking place, and his prayer helped him overcome. And it's like when you're digging, you know, you go to the beach... And all of you now wish you were at the beach. Much better option than being here. Your reward will be in heaven. And you're digging a mound and you're digging through a tunnel from either side so you can crawl through. You grown-ups don't do that anymore? <laughs> what sad life you live. And, and, you know, you're shoveling away and it's still there's no light coming through. And suddenly one final shovel and you get the light through, yeah? But, but you didn't, it wasn't one shovel that caused the light, was it? It was the, it was the half a day of shoveling in the sand and watching it collapse. Sometimes we pray, as we're praying, we're, we're, we're bringing down the blockages, we're bringing down the walls, and one day there's breakthrough. And, and we see this perseverance mirrored in different ways. Uh, Barbara Cahill, I got permission to share this, uh, was prayed for last Sunday, was healed. Next day, full of pain again. Prayed some more, healed. And, and this cycle of, of, of winning in prayer... And then it all coming back, winning in prayer. Uh, and sometimes we've just got to persevere uh, and keep going until we see not only the healing that we're longing for, but we see that established and uh, secure. There are more things uh, that we know. Sometimes we know, all right, we know, put it this way, that sometimes people don't want to be well. Now, this is a tricky one. It's not a very sensitive thing to say that to someone, but sometimes that's the truth. I used to think this was weird until I became pastor of a church, and then I understood it. I understood how people's illnesses and weaknesses create around them a safety and a security that it's hard to break out of. I thought Jesus was nuts when he said to the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, how stupid is the Son of God in that moment? It's obvious he's a beggar, but actually being a blind beggar created all the framework for his security. And Jesus understands that. And a genuine, genuine question for you to ask yourself in your inner quiet moments about whatever you struggle with, do I really want to be well? And I think if you begin to reflect on that question seriously before the Holy Spirit, you'll discover perhaps it's not as stupid as a question as you perhaps once thought. And sometimes we want to get well for the wrong reasons. 
We want to get well because we want to pursue our own agenda. We want to get well because we're frustrated that our illness, our sickness, whatever is afflicting us, is stopping us progressing in our own pleasure, our own wants, our own desires, our own life building. All the things that human beings want to do, we want to build our lives for ourselves, we build bigger barns to store all our blessing in, and we want to be well so that we can build our bigger barns. We want to be well so that we can, whatever that might be for us. And Jesus so often healed people in a context where the glory of God was at stake. He almost always healed people publicly in an evangelistic setting. Almost always. Not quite always. About 21 out of 26 times. And it's a reminder that that when God works, there are bigger issues at stake for God than just our healing. The universe doesn't revolve around us. And sometimes we want God to heal us and it's all about self. I want God to heal me and it's all about me. I feel sorry for myself. If only everyone understood how bad it is to be like this. It's about me. Do you understand what I'm saying? No? No, some of you do. All of you do. Some of you do in saying so. Some of you do in not saying so. Some of you couldn't care less. <laughs> it's the same in any crowd. So it's a sign of God's kingdom that all the glory goes to God. Yeah, we saw that last week. Jesus says here about the blind man. Well, don't ask questions about why he's blind. Those are stupid questions. Just remember that this has happened for the glory of God. This healing will happen for the glory of God. Are our hearts open for the glory of God? The more concerned I am for the glory of God, the more I see people healed. The more it's about, well, who'll look good in this? The more I think, oh, Lord, heal this person and save my awkwardness and my embarrassment. Lord, don't you know how awkward it is to preach on healing week after week and pray for someone and not get healed? Lord, don't you know how awful it is to be part of a church that's doing healing and to pray this prayer and nothing happens? And God says, no, no, no. I want you to pursue more than anything else my glory. The prayer and the people being prayed for, for my glory. If our hearts are open, then we're open for the healing that God would bring. Ninthly, sometimes we're praying for the wrong thing. We're praying for the wrong thing. This is easily misunderstood. Um, But often what you want to pray for is the symptom and not the cause. Often what we want to pray for is the symptom and not the cause. In the story, the boy had some kind of seizure going on. Lord, take the boy's seizure away would seem a realistic prayer. The actual prayer is, Lord, deliver this boy from the demonic stronghold that causes these seizures. That's what it says. That's what the story tells us. That's what Jesus did. And we sometimes have to ask the question, what's behind this symptom? And often we would rather ask a thousand other questions because sometimes what's behind a symptom requires something of us emotionally and spiritually 
and that's painful and that's hard. But if you've got a burning pain in your neck, or if you've got a back that's always aching, or if you're always succumbing to viruses, or you always have headaches, then maybe there is a cause for those symptoms. And the Bible is very clear, as indeed modern medicine is, that so much of what goes on within us gets expressed in a physical reality. If you are feeling bitter towards someone, harboring unforgiveness, it is highly likely that that might get expressed physically. If you have a load of anger inside you, it's highly likely that that will get expressed physically. If you are perpetuate in a lifestyle that keeps you exhausted and you don't eat properly, it's likely that you'll keep on having viruses. Make sense? And so sometimes we pray for the wrong things because it's easier than praying for the real thing. And it is so, so common for people to release forgiveness towards someone and that to result in a physical healing. For them to let go of a load of anger and for that to result in a physical healing. For people to change their lifestyle and suddenly think, oh, I feel a lot better. We're sometimes praying for the wrong thing. There's this awful verse, and I mean awful, in 1 Corinthians. It's talking about disunity. It's talking about people not caring for one another. It's talking about people making a right hash of the bread and the wine and not understanding its significance. So it's about people with a wrong attitude. People harboring wrong thoughts. People harboring wrong attitudes towards other people. And look at what it says final verse. This is why many, he's writing to an ordinary church in Corinth, this is why many among you are weak and ill, and a number of you have fallen asleep. I'll leave you to work out what you think about that verse. But for me, it's a very, very stark reminder that if you want to be physically well, you need to be well inside. This leads us on to perhaps tenthly, we know that undealt with sin in your life can make you sick. So stuff that's wrong in you that you don't deal with can make you sick. David had all this wrong inside him. He was King David. He was the man after God's own heart. He committed adultery. He had all this undealt sin in his life. He wasn't seeking forgiveness yet. He wasn't repentant. And look at what he writes, this healthy warrior King David. He said, my, my bones are wasting away. I groan all day and night. Your hand seems heavy upon my strength has gone. I'm sick with the sin. Um... I'm sick in my body, sorry, because of the sin that looks in my soul. It's not a pretty sight to see King David like that. It's why James, of course, always, uh, not always, sometimes ties confession in with healing. If you want to be healed, you've got to confess your sin. Now, you can see why we separate those things out. Because I'd like you to pray for the thing that's wrong with me. I don't really want to tell you about my sin and confess it. You know, if you think that praying, getting someone to pray for you for something physical is bad enough, try standing in front of them and telling them what's going on in your heart. But what's going on in your heart might well be the biggest clue to why you need to stand in that queue there. Does that make sense? And we've got to grow up as Christians in our discipleship to push through all of this rubbish. We've all got rubbish in our hearts. 
You might want to turn to the person next to you and say, hey, do you know we've all got rubbish in our hearts? We have. We've all got rubbish in our hearts. And it, it is, it's awkward, isn't it? I, I don't want you to think that there might be something wrong in my heart. I want you to think that I'm perfect. But I'm not. And neither are you. And that's what's so brilliant about God's grace, isn't it? So fantastic. Finally, interestingly about sin in your heart, uh, I love the way Jesus goes to the paralytic man who's coming about his legs, right? And Jesus starts talking to him about his sins. Have you noticed that? The first thing Jesus said to the bloke, your sins are forgiven. I'm not idiot because my sins are my legs, you idiot. Jesus knows. Sins, legs, what the difference? All needs healing. All needs redeeming. When I stand before God, my sins will be forgiven and my body and spirit will be whole. Thank you. Finally then, we know that a few people in the Bible weren't healed. That's a relief, isn't it? We know that a few people weren't healed. It did use a little bit of wine, which is a bit awkward if you're teetotal. Four examples in the New Testament of people not getting healed. And you can find those and work those out for yourself. But there's a heck of a lot of people in the New Testament that did get healed. And so help us, God, to go on a journey of learning. Help us to grow up in being pastorally sensitive and seeking kingdom truth. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Let's open our hearts in these moments. Lord, we've blamed you, and we can see that blaming is a big mistake. We can fail and therefore decide I'm not going to do that again. What a big mistake. Lord, I'm sorry for times that we should have prayed in faith for healing, but we haven't been ready to, we haven't been prepared to, whatever. Forgive us, Lord. And as we pray more, we know that more people will be healed. Forgive us when we haven't been persistent. Forgive us when we've used our physical symptoms as a mask, a a protection from the inner healing that you need to do that would release the physical. Help us to be disciples that learn in quiet and yet profound, spirit-filled obedience to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom as your word teaches us.